Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Good Sunday evening to all of you wonderful listeners. Great to be back here for the stretch run of the NBA season. We got a 15 and 60 mailbag to get to here. We're going to start with the Dallas Mavericks at the top of the alphabet in the Western Conference. If you missed it, Patreon subscribers, we did a podcast for the Clippers and Lakers game. Just about 15 minutes summarizing our thoughts on the game that we did for the NBA cast this afternoon. And then programming note on Hollinger Duncan actually going to come tomorrow night. John and I will get a chance to catch up. He was at Sloan, so he couldn't record today. Anything you want to talk about before you get started? You got the, your uh, Real Gym Radio with Seth still, if people haven't listened to that, right? Yeah, Real Gym Radio with Seth, and I'm going to be starting a new... It's not going to be out right away, but you'll be ready for some new collaborative work at The Athletic. They'll be coming out um, with some of the great people that work there. That's that's going to a series that will start probably on Tuesday of next week, of this week. We don't know exactly when. All right, well, tell us about the statistical resume of the Dallas Mavericks, please. The Mavericks are 39 and 25. They're 7 and 4 since the last time we hit them into 15 and 60. They're a strong fourth in net rating, plus six, fueled by that first place offense, 117 on points per end possessions, which is ridiculous. Uh, uh, 17th in defense, and 538's Raptor model projects that they will win 49 games, which ties them for six with the Thunder, and they're making the playoffs. Yeah, and since we're talking about their statistical resume, why don't we start with this from Fun Guy at SQ Real. What do you make of Dallas's strong point differential, considering they've hovered around the sixth or seventh seed all year? I, I mean, generally in these sorts of circumstances, why you look at overall point differential instead of record is because it's more predictive. I mean, that as as I understand it by people who are smarter and have done more like regression analysis than I have, you look at that, and then an easy way to point to is usually like, oh, the team's going to struggle in crunch time; they're going to have those sorts of challenges. And Dallas certainly has. Dallas has a negative fifteen net rating in close games, and they're thirteen and nineteen in the circumstances the offense falls off a cliff most notably defense isn't great either and one thing I would like to look into if I have the chance with Dallas is how they're faring against like over 500 teams to see if there's something structurally different there sometimes you get into close games against better teams depending on how things work um but generally speaking I mean their offense has been amazing when Luke has been on the floor and I trust that more than just getting beaten some close games negative 4.3 wins worse than expected per cleaning the glass so yeah we'd probably be thinking a lot differently about them if they were 43 and 21 instead of 39 and 25 right now i mean luca was great in the clutch last year so i don't really see any reason to believe it's a lot of it has been his struggles but he was pretty solid in that game against new orleans that we did for the cast last week so like most teams you think that this is probably just noise i mean rick carlisle coached teams that outperformed their point differential seemingly year after year and then 
then when he stopped trying <laughs> and they were tanking, they underperformed their point differential year after year. So I think ultimately to me, it's noise. I think Luca, they have a theory. They have good spacing. I'd be worried about their clutch defense, certainly, but it's really more the clutch offense. There's no reason to believe that the clutch offense uh, wouldn't be as good, I think, down the stretch they have a guy who can iso pretty well in luca they've got good spacing they've got a good system good play caller so i think it's just noise uh from sethbot 3000 what are your thoughts on the reported mutual interest for an extension with tim hardaway jr i think that goodbye he 2021 plan and that's exactly where i was gonna go so i think i think that hardaway has been a, a, an underappreciated part of their success and has been you know i didn't think he was you know more for me he was more of a throw-in kind of in that deal than be a salary ballast rather than a player of real value but my concern is that if you pay him like that as opposed to trying to find somebody then you the opportunity cost is actually pretty high because dallas could have real cap space in 2021 not clear that they're going to get like a superstar but they would also get a lot more time to evaluate what they want around Porzingis and Luca. Plus, the other part that makes it different is that a lot of Dallas's support players would already be under contract, Moxie Kleba, Seth Curry among them. So they wouldn't be trying to fill as many slots. And I, I would say that it would take something really good for me to give away that flexibility. And I don't think I would say Tim Hardaway, unless he takes like a real discount, would, would fit that description. Part of why I was critical of the Dwight Powell extension and would be for a Tim Hardaway extension. You imagine if there's an extension, he's making 20 million this year, player option for 19 next year. That And so the extension would obviously go into 2021 offseason. Part of the reason I, I was critical of Dwight Powell, part of the reason I'd be critical for this is it's kind of for a luxury, right? Like if you look at what this team needs, we've been asked this question a number of times. Okay, awesome 3 and D guy is your number one. Like who the hell is going to guard LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard when you're trying to get serious about winning in the playoffs? You know, who can even guard like Clay Thompson or Stephen Curry or something if the Warriors are good again? You're always going to run up against these great wing players. And so if they don't have that, then why are you spending money on, yeah, pretty good offensive center? But hey, guess what? With Dwight Powell out, they're getting by just fine. Their they're greatest of all time offense is getting even better without him. Uh, not that he was causing issues offensively, but and same thing with Hardaway. Good shooter, can handle the ball a little bit on your second unit. He's uh, been better than expected defensively, but still, you know, he's been completely overwhelmed when he's had to guard like your Paul Georges and Kawhi Leonard's uh, going up against the Clippers, for example. So to spend $20 million on someone like that, who's basically kind of a luxury when you haven't fulfilled your primary needs yet, I think would be a massive mistake. Um, should the Mavs build some rhythm or get rested through the remaining games since it looks like they're locked in? for the seventh seed i mean to me no you need to get the sixth seed here because the clippers are on fire they look like they're moving into a pretty decent chance of being the second seed and you don't want to play the la clippers you want to play houston who i still think is pretty good and would be favored again but houston or denver if they're lucky oh isn't that nice isn't that that a nice nice sound indicating that we've run out of time we've we've uh it's 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 just it's so bright and nice instead of the uh the grading stopwatch sound i I really i listened to the pod last week and i was like yeah that's that's pretty terrible i'm I'm gonna change that up so uh no i think they gotta try pretty hard to get the succeed um 
Should we go to the Nuggets here? Yeah, let's do it. The Denver Nuggets are 42-21, and 3-3 since the last 15-60. They've taken a tumble in net rating. They're down to 10th plus 3.2. And the reason why is defense. They're still 9th in offense, but they're down to 13th in defense. A bit, there were a bunch of bunch teams, and they kind of fell below some of that. They're now... But incidentally, their win projection didn't really change despite the 3-3. Three and three. Their 538 projects them to win 54 games, which would be third in the West, and they're, of course, going to make the playoffs. They are struggling Ugh. lately. I mean, just the, losing to the Cavs in a game where the offense just couldn't get going. Nikola Jokic only had eight points. Uh, it was noted by a number of commenters that uh, Jokic did not touch the ball at the end, which, you know, part of that... Uh, for Mike Malone, I mean, I think that might have been a little bit of a message to him. And and Malone, to me, he kind of yo-yos back and forth based on what's happening in the individual game more than just about any other coach. Uh, and so maybe it was a message to Jokic that he has to do more in the meat of the game to get looks at the end. But he's also been one of the best clutch players over the last two years and you know, probably should have gotten the ball, you would think, uh, at the end of the game. But they eked it out against charlotte they got waxed at home by golden state we talked about that game last week and the offense really to me has been sputtering a little bit more than the defense and so that to me is pretty concerning not getting up enough threes not making enough threes so I still project for the 54 wins. I mean, it would be a very different. Think about, you know, they've won, what, four games more than expected. Dallas has lost four games more than expected. Like, how different would we be thinking of these two teams if that were simply reversed? And Dallas was in contention for the number two or number three seed. I mean, I think I think Dallas is better than than Denver. Do you agree with me? I do. And both teams have dealt with with injuries. Denver had them kind of concentrated at a stretch of time, and then but and Dallas has missed Luca for yeah, a little bit. That, that's true. I mean, Denver has I think has had worse injuries. I would agree than uh, than Dallas. That's an excellent point. Um, yeah. So yeah, what, what do you want to start with? on these guys uh, there, there are a couple of kind of like clarifying questions um i'll do this one from 100 percent roi um which kind of ties in with like the, the denver power forward direction like we got a couple on that with grant and Millsap, and i guess maybe chris english is too of can would it be realistic to resign both grant and Millsap? and i don't think so partially because remember what happens with unrestricted free agents like unrestricted free agents have the ability to go where they want and unless they're willing to overpay both of them or overpay the guy who's not going to be starting you could imagine that they would prefer the opportunity elsewhere yeah. well, well they don't even have the money to do that for, exactly I, I think also, like if we go through their cap situation 11 million in space uh under the cap that leaves them with about 35 million under the tax and you've got Troy craig as a restricted free agent uh you've got mason Plumley, who probably would be a lower priority than either grant or Millsap. Millsap, and then grant so I mean, with 35 million below the tax, and uh, yeah, we are skeptical that they will go over the tax. Jamal Murray's extension kicks in. We got a question about that that we'll hit in a second here. But assuming that Grant opts out of his 9.3 million, yeah, it's hard to imagine a circumstance in which they both come back, and they probably don't want both of them back because they they are big believers in in Michael Porter, and, and they need Michael Porter to produce, frankly, as part for their salary structure to work going forward. Yeah, they they really do. And somebody else asked about an opt in and extend, and one of the challenges there is that you're anchored to an extent to that number, and you could have depending on what what the two sides come to, it'd be more logical. Now they could have done something like that on the timeline of Dwight Powell, where that was before the season, so basically you're just using that as a jumping off point. That this isn't that this isn't that juncture. So he'll just he would just opt out and you agree to a new contract. 
Uh, let's do the, uh, well, there's another one on Grant from uh, Eric Arfa. What do you think he'd get in free agency, assuming he declines his option? Yeah, I mean, you'd think he'd be around the mid-level exception, maybe not the full mid-level exception uh, for four years, but, you know, something along the lines of a three years, 30 million kind of seems like about right for him. He, he hasn't been that great this year, but he has contributed to playoff teams. I, I, I want to see what he does in the playoffs, too. I think that'll be a, a big part of it. You know, the three-point shooting continues to kind of, you know, be pretty iffy for him, which is a little bit of a problem for his fit on some teams. Um, also, also, the team's from what i could think of depending especially if the a, a few teams just like what they have for example the hawks like there might just not be a constituency above the mid-level maybe like like charlotte for example like charlotte could have money to work with but are they really going to prioritize jeremy grant especially if they see pj washington as a four uh so bird up asks uh how does jamal murray's contract extension look at this point is it wiggins ask or do you think it'll be fair value long term no i think i mean i think he's you know I'd feel more comfortable with him at 20 million a year than basically 30 million a year. But no, I don't think it's Wiggins. I think it's a quality offensive player. He's their second best offensive player on most nights. And, you know, he still has the upside to continue to improve. I, I you know, he does have these injury problems periodically. I mean, my hope for him, uh, maybe even that a new coach, if there ever were one there, could unlock him a little bit more offensively. And my hope for him, uh, the thing he was supposed to be awesome at was just this crazy three-point bomber coming off of screens out of Kentucky. If he could just get to where he was supposed to be as a three-point shooter, as a prospect in terms of volume, maybe even more so than the makes you know if you might just be more of a 35 percent guy but if he can really get up there in terms of volume that would be big to me but you know i think the rest of his game has rounded out absolutely as well as you could have hoped drafting at number seven but maybe not as well as you could have hoped giving him a no-brainer max extension on the first day of free agency do this one quickly from andre lu what's the best way to build around a player like Jokic? are there examples in the past i mean offensively it's actually pretty it's pretty easy because he's so great with the ball in his hands since he can space the floor so you can go in a lot of different directions if we're talking about a truly elite team one of the ideas that i've had is actually to pair him with somebody who is a more reliable rim protecting center and functionally have him as a uh, in some ways as a power forward defensively so that he's around the basket but more in the help capacity or not in the rim protection responsibility you'd have to run very specific systems which probably wouldn't be that similar to what they do yeah now. I, I mean like he can't he can't guard shooters at the three-point line i don't think i, I, I mean, like it the, i mean that he he's i mean think of like you know compare cut him to kevin love right you'd kind of be turning him into kevin love and kevin love can't get out there at the three-point line and kevin love probably has more right, mobility but, than they, but the Cavs won a championship without kevin love playing at center <laughs> without so, kevin love playing at center well i mean they played had tristan they had a lot of guys like love was not their primary also they had lebron james like he was a better rim protector than yeah than kevin well love. i mean love didn't play all that much you know in that finals i mean so yeah. that that was and Jokic is a better offensive player now than love was then sure but also Jokic, i mean love was the best offensive player on his own team so well so i i think in a lot of ways Millsap is the ideal defensive partner agreed for Jokic. that's, that's and, why part of Millsap versus grant i like Millsap better well and so now Millsap, of course his three-point shooting is limited where do you put him on offense in the dunker spot he's not a great finisher anymore uh and so you think well so you, you but you kind of have to have a mill so i think they liked grant too you know a better version a better shooting version of grant i mean i do think that they need mo more shooting on this offense ah ah oh, that's just so calming <laughs> uh 
Yeah, so I don't. I, I mean, I think it's you got to have that good defensive power forward. You know, like Andre Kirilenko back in the day would have been the perfect guy to play next to him. But then you need another really solid three and D guy as well. And you know, is there a way that you could drop him back in pick and roll coverage? You could get enough personnel around him to where you can bring help from the wing, still recover back to three point shooters, and he's not going to get traffic coned in drop coverage and get enough shooting. It is hard, right? I mean, that's why as brilliant as Jokic is. I still think it is very hard to build a championship team around him as the best player just because there are so many other things that you have to do where if you maximize your defense now finding that player who can also really bomb it from three is difficult and you have to have a certain scheme defensively with him out there so it's it's really hard I mean he's he'll get you to 50 wins in the regular season no problem but in the playoffs I mean we'll see them play like real teams in the playoffs this year too I'm very interested to see how it goes warriors time oh here let's uh, let's take a quick break first golden state 15 and 49 three and five yesterday the warriors oh wait a minute (laughs) there we go (laughs) i accidentally i have a pixel i accidentally like squeezed my phone as i was like resetting the timer that's uh that's terrible uh anyway golden state uh 15 and 49 i won't say as enthusiastically but three and five or three and two in their last five i did a pod with slater on their win over the shorthanded sixers on saturday night so if you need more warriors content want opinions on some of their recent additions you can listen to that but uh yeah so they're three and four in their last seven 30th in the nba net rating negative 9.2 30th on offense 26th on defense they project for 22 wins, which would be worst in the NBA. Where do you want to start here? Um, from from Colonel Cactus, on Nate's pod with Hollinger, this was the coach ranking one, which I actually listened to earlier today as we record this. Uh, Nate said that Kerr's system only seems to work when Steph and Claire are on the floor. How would you change the system to improve efficiency when they're resting? Do you think the league has already learned enough counters that Kerr will have to always adapt? For me, I mean, the, the idea of a ball and player movement system is so reliant on intelligence as well it's relied on you know the the warriors had these kind of special critical masses one of them was the size you know they had these guys that were long that could play above their size but another one was they had players who could make smart decisions and they could generate separation most notably Steph, and they were able to leverage that that's part of why i think there's a lack of versatility in the system is that not only when players get held and grabbed more but there are lots of players who can't make the decisions as quickly so i to me it's simplify it down don't rely you know do more do more stuff like high pick and roll the nova Kane with duran and curry as as marcus thompson put at the time that sort of thing would would make them would make their system more versatile yeah i i agree with you there now I will say this, that in some of these wins the last couple of weeks, and even against the Raptors too, they they didn't hit that many threes. Obviously, Steph played in that game. Um, but the wins without him, it's really looked a lot better. And I think one of the reasons is they actually have like, a real knockdown shooter that teams are really guarding Michael Mulder uh, just out of the G League Sioux Falls been very impressive to me I, I think they he's someone who should probably be on the team next year he's he has this level as a shooter at lower levels so that's not shocking and he's held up defensively well enough you know better than like a Troy Daniels type and you know maybe you won't get big minutes next year but actually getting enough shooting on the floor that's just something that they haven't had a lot of the time and so uh, to really have an NBA level Pascal is shooting the three better Jordan Poole is shooting the three better now Damian Lee has come on Lee really fits well into Chris's system so actually the stuff that they've been running now 
you know, a lot of that is not the same stuff they always did because they got these 10-day guys in there. Bender is another guy who gives them a little bit more shooting. But it's probably, to me, it's looked better just given the results versus talent on offense than at any time in the current era with Steph and Clay off the floor. So I, I think maybe it is they just, they need more shooting. They need the right kind of players. But certainly they didn't maximize D'Angelo Russell. You know, that should have been even more pick and roll than they probably were running. They tried to do off the ball stuff for Russell. That didn't really work that well. He didn't want to run hard. He wasn't in shape for playing that way, which is something that he admitted. I do always appreciate Russell's candor in, in interviews. Um, so maybe, maybe it can look better and maybe it was just not having, you know, that great shooting but uh i mean i think overall you have to say that yeah you just got to do more of the normal nba stuff i mean how often do you see them just like go after mismatches unless it's the very end of the game for example um all right we got a lot of these questions here let's do like 30 seconds for for each of these let's try and get like five more in um has this season ultimately been good or bad for the warriors i think it's been it's been pretty rough for them i mean the beyond the injuries and health stuff but the way it could be uh, silver it could get a silver lining is if the if the pick ends up becoming a valuable asset slash player who can actually help them but i mean the the depth is looking a lot worse for next year all those sorts of things i'd say negative i'd say positive actually uh i think they have found some guys who might be able to contribute and maybe i'm getting two rose colored glasses for guys on a bad team it's so hard to evaluate them but just getting the draft pick i mean that's a, a huge asset that they didn't have so and they got the wolves pick uh, as well wiggins is you know he's looked like he can function with this group which is okay it's more than they had with russell and they've got a big salary that they can trade certainly some of the injuries draymond's look terrible looney just like you know not being someone you can rely on anymore that's a big problem but you know everyone's legs uh, at least uh, have been saved um let's see here oh uh option zero is this sequence legal for golden state basically the stair step uh, which has been talked about and you know i know a lot of people have said that you can do that i had this feeling in the back of my mind that that was circumvention and albert namad actually tweeted something to that effect as well but i couldn't find anywhere that actually said that but i remember that it's called stepping up the basis but i couldn't where it's basically it's circumvention right like you're making a trade just to immediately trade the guy again to get around the idea of salary matching and so i think you to make it legal you would have to at least hold on to the guy for a certain amount of time to where you'd have plausible deniability about that kind of a move well yeah and i think that the the trade would have to be you know like reasonable you know you get you get the idea of it's like if it's just salary filler and you're giving up a lot or something like that then it would be a little bit dicey um do this one briefly from i mean we haven't looked at the draft yet but there's a question from gallup from galoop 11 if the warriors keep their pick should they target best prospect available even if it's a small guard without knowing everybody in particular yes i mean best player available is extremely important because even if they're most of those guys aren't going to be a fit in the immediate anyway and that player is going to contribute at some point the warriors will need guards in the rotation and that theoretically the best prospect you take the hope is that your board is right and that if you end up trading them that you can trade them for the most albert young at explosion donut how long would wiggins have to maintain this level of play especially defensively for you to buy that this is the new norm and that a change of scenery made a sustainable positive impact i mean i think we're starting to overrate what he actually has already done in a warriors uniform he had some good games right away but he really was not good against the sixers last night and now can he just hit and he wasn't that great in the stuff return game can he hit some corner threes can he defend his position okay yeah i mean he definitely guys will go through him sometimes like he had a couple of bad possessions against tobias harris last night a couple of bad possessions against 
Pascal Siakam against Toronto. But I mean, if you want to buy that he has been playing that much better, which I'm not quite sure I'm there yet. I think as a passer, he has looked a little bit better and they haven't asked him to just fire away and create offense the way I think Minnesota kind of did a little bit too much. But I think how long would any new level of play have to last for him? 40 games in the next season before I really was convinced that's what it would take for me, especially like really playing on a winning team in a winning situation. I mean, and really even almost through a one playoff run as well to really see him in that light. Um, okay, I think we are about out of time here on the Warriors. Let us turn to the Houston Rockets, Danny. The Rockets are 39 and 23, 3 and 3 since the last 1560. They are seventh in net rating at a strong plus 3.9 per 100 possessions. They are second in offense and are we counting 14th as respectable in defense? 1099. Uh 538's Raptor model projects that they will win 53 games, which will be fourth in the West, and they are going to make the playoffs. Um, why don't we start with uh Akab at JB236 underscore. How would you predict a Rockets Nuggets series playing out? My concern, I, I mean, one of the things that I've been that that you've noticed is that when teams don't have rim protectors, especially if they can have it as a second guy against Westbrook, that he can really get downhill quickly. I, I think the Nuggets defensive scheme would have would have some real challenges. And then offensively, Jokic is the compelling thing. Matt Moore and I talked about this back when we did the tears pod. He thinks that Denver would fare much better against Houston than I do because he thinks Jokic would just be so undeniable. But one of my questions there is, will they be able to get him the ball? And I think. We'll have to see. So, yeah. Well, I, I think I, I think they'll double team. I mean, I think Tucker actually can guard him reasonably well. So you have to first you got to get the switch, then you got to get the ball in the post. Maybe they're fronting. Then the double team comes. Now you pack it in the paint, force them to get it to a shooter, and beat you from outside. The Nuggets haven't really shown that they can do that necessarily. I mean, Jokic is a wonderful passer, and there's a lot of other stuff that they could do. The Nuggets will kill him on the offensive glass. Uh, that'll be huge. But I, I do worry if the Nuggets had some more shooting, I'd feel better about them being able to really punish uh, a double teaming strategy. So what, what would your prediction for such a series be? I think there would be a fair amount of blowouts. I think it could be that, but I would say Rockets in like six, even though yeah. uh, I, I don't know who would have home court. I wasn't really factoring that in. Yeah, depending on home court. I mean, I think it would be Rockets in six if they didn't have home court and Rockets in five if they did would be my prediction. Uh, from Glenn Simonson, who should get more credit for unlocking Russell Westbrook, Mike D'Antoni or Daryl Morey? Either way, they're infinitely more watchable. Strong agree on the second point. I mean, I, I've really, I really have enjoyed the Rockets, though the Knights like that one when they got absolutely shithoused by the Clippers and they're not making any shots. They are that much more watchable than they were before. But I would give a lot of the credit to D'Antoni because I think D'Antoni forced Maury's yeah. hand because he went to these lineups without Capella out there and they worked. And so then it became harder for Maury to stay that not, not that they were necessarily pulling against each other. I, I, I don't know that they were, but giving giving that evidence, maybe it was going to Fertitta. We don't know where, where if there was any resistance anywhere, but I would give it I would give it to D'Antoni. By the way, as we are recording this, it's about five o'clock Pacific. They are getting shit housed by the Magic at home, ninety-one sixty-four, and it hasn't even necessarily been terrible three-point shooting either. Now they did play uh, last night against the Hornets, Hornets over baby, and, and got blown out in that game, and obviously got blown out by the Clippers. So this is trending towards three straight blowout losses after it looked so rosy for them. Yeah, this. I mean. Yeah, they, there is the the back to back, and I believe the Hornets game was in Charlotte, right? I think it was. Um, it was, yeah. It was. So so there was travel involved, but God, what a brutal back to back! I mean, yeah. the Magic are technically a playoff team in the in these in the loosest possible yeah. sense, and then and then yeah. The, the well, Hornets. I mean, I mean, they've lost to they'll have lost to the Knicks, Clippers, Hornets, and Magic 
in the last week that's not good yeah it's not great um and, and harden to me just hasn't been the same you know for whatever reason uh, you know he's five out of 16 tonight against the magic um oh uh, we can do yeah. this one quickly from um from j-dub v-dub which west team is best equipped to both defend houston spread attack and exploit their lack of size to me it's the clippers i think that yeah, the clippers exactly just, the formula we saw on thursday night yeah they have great personnel for it and also the clippers have so many options that they can they can go to different approaches when necessary yeah now the rockets are missing eric gordon they are missing ben mclemore you know but gordon to me has really got to get but they they still they gotta have that one guy who's really knocking them in from three like covington tucker those guys will take them sometimes they get hot you know house is kind of in that category harden's not really a spot up guy eric gordon is the guy they gotta have that one flamethrower from outside and gordon hasn't been able to provide that this year so far last one on them uh in light of the this is from uh willing kelleher in light of the tiny margins that have knocked houston out the last few years tax avoidance moves they've made each year loom large in retrospect with small putting them back to the mix this year are there moves that they once again should make but not, might not to avoid the tax it's kind of too late now um you know there's not really any buyout guys that i like really want them to use and, and they don't have any of their mid-level exception left it's just you know a million bucks so uh and they i don't think they used any of that on carol and green so at the at this point present tense no past tense maybe yeah remember they could have created a trade exception with iman shumpert they could have created an actual Dene trade exception the reason they didn't do that was to avoid the tax basically to 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 that maury's likely bonus scheme there that ended up not working so yeah i think it could have helped all right we are out of time on the rockets i will spare you the noise we're counting down like to exactly one second left right now clippers 43 and 20 did lose today against the Lakers. Again, if you missed it, uh, for Patreon subscribers, we did a 15-minute recap podcast on that game. So we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll hit on that some here. Uh, let's start with uh, Matthew Moreau. How good has the Clippers five-man bench unit been uh, with Lou, Trez, Shamit, Jamichael Green, and Reggie Jackson? Eye test has been great. Yeah, they looked real good until the Lakers uh, today, and I think uh, it kind of fell apart for them a little bit. Doc maybe had to go back to his stars before he wanted to, particularly in the second half. It also strikes me that that group is going to do a lot better against the average regular season team than the average playoff team, especially because te- because opponents are going to start playing their best guys more. So there there is definite utility in it now, but there will be less in the postseason, which matters more. Of course, yeah. the Clippers need all the Clippers need all of these wins. I mean, what are the huge dynamics that's happened? over the last them going six and one and being so great as they have been for most of this time is that they're getting a little bit of clearance from the rest of the west and i think that's really important well the other problem though is just there's no reason to play 10 guys in the playoffs unless there's foul trouble right I and mean, that you're yeah you know what that five-man bench unit might look pretty good in the regular season but uh yeah how about if you just replace Jamichael green with marcus morris or you replace him with Kawhi, or you replace uh reggie jackson with paul george or you replace lou williams with paul george then uh, that bench unit looks even better so i do think you know doc uh, we talked about this during the cast that back in the blake griffin chris paul days he came under fire for not staggering in the playoffs and they would always get completely destroyed whenever we would take both of those guys off the floor at the start of the second the start of the fourth quarter just you know it, it was always just hilarious to think of what when is the timeout going to come is it going to happen in the first two minutes or is doc going to make it three minutes before he calls a, a timeout and that was back in the days when you had the under nine timeout in the second quarter and he would never even make it to that 
uh, with that group but uh with this group i mean i think he wants to go to the all all bench unit it's a way to keep everyone happy but at some point you would think the hard choices will have to be made uh, and i have a feeling of what I, I think those should be i don't know if doc agrees with me i'm not even sure that i'm right but he's got a lot to sort out here and it's been tough for him because they've had all these injuries during yeah. during the season and now they got new guys as well and some of the players who you might want to take out uh, also have the most equity with the organization and so there's uh, a lot to sort through here that's why doc gets paid the big bucks even though he's not the gm anymore uh from bpm twitter in a clippers match Mavericks playoff matchup who is the primary defender on Luka Doncic Kawhi or PG they've started with Beverly actually on him in some of these games they have I I think Paul George's comfort ability I mean he's not as good as it used to be but getting around screens could be really valuable in that matchup but honestly one of the things that I wouldn't be surprised to see Dallas do RCC Clippers do is put the other guy on Porzingis and just say we don't care yeah yeah and, and, and i mean those guys do have a good understanding for help and then uh the porzingis pick and roll with Doncic, you can switch that pretty easily um uh, he also asked uh, any thoughts in the clippers probably possibly moving to the forum because with talk that steve balmer is uh trying to buy the forum and, and that msg finally uh james dolan are receptive to that the clippers lease i believe runs through 2024 in staples center so they probably would have to buy their way out of that you're would they make more money at the forum by playing you know having a better schedule there could they make more money i I mean i think the luxury box situation at staples is much better that's why the lakers left there now the the forum has been remodeled still would they want to spend a bunch of money to re-remodel it from concerts back to basketball i don't know how much that would cost i haven't been to the forum to see what kind of shape it's in i mean it could be something that would be good to just kind of reorient their fans separate out from the lakers etc etc but i'm just not sure how bad the forum is and i think when you throw in as well that they would have to probably pay money to get out of the lease i don't know if it would make sense i mean maybe balmer would just do it just because he like doesn't want to be in staples anymore and they want to get better dates for their games i mean that would be the and maybe they could maybe they could get better tv ratings that way and as a result of getting better tv ratings maybe their tv contract would go up and it'd be worth it but i just don't know all the variables well enough right Uh, there there are real values to having your own building but with the amount of money they'd have to pay it's i mean that's why you have business people in your in your management group and they can figure it out but uh, my instinct is that from a purely financial perspective it'd be better to stay but it might not be purely financial um do you think the clippers could re-sign reggie jackson with the taxpayer mid-level yeah i think they probably could i, I think i think they could but i don't think that'd be the best use of their resources yeah maybe not i mean a lot as much depends on what happens with harold is he gonna be back sure um uh, does uh does jamichael, jamichael green, jamichael green. Yeah. yeah um although i mean they'll have bird rights on those players but it, part of that is just you know are they there do they need to replace those guys or not the lakers 49 and 13 on fire 10 and 1 Whew. they beat the bucks uh, in a slugfest did get up 38 shots at the rim against the bucks which uh, you do not see against this bucks defense lebron outplayed Giannis Antetokounmpo down the stretch uh, so 10 and 1 in, in their last 11 plus 7.2 net rating second in the nba and that's it despite the fact that they've won four games more than expected they're still the second best net rating in the league fifth on offense third on defense Uh, they've had some impressive defensive performances lately including those last two wins against the bucks and clippers 
64 wins they project for which would be first in the west and they will of course be making the playoffs so this is an interesting one from darius price if the lakers won the lottery last year should they have kept zion even if it had cost them ad meaning presumably that they wouldn't have had the ammo to trade for him I mean, the question there is whether LeBron's window being as 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 narrow as it might be, we don't know that for sure, justifies it. I mean, AD has been you know top ten player in the league this year, as we as we expect. Ugh. I mean, yeah, I mean, and AD presumably is going to resign, but you keep Zion. I mean, think of it: you still got Ingram, you've got Ball, you still got Josh they Hart, could, and they could have combined those guys into a trade for somebody else. Like maybe True. you're not going to get somebody yeah. as good as AD, but you could get somebody. Yeah, or frankly, I mean, maybe they still could have gotten AD. Or no, I mean, maybe what you do is you just hold on to Zion for this year, and then you sign AD as a free agent next summer. Yeah, that, I think, that they, might I think they would have been able to do that. Um, or or God, or at the trade deadline. That that would be the other thing at the at the trade deadline too. Um, or I mean, maybe you could also have traded Zion for AD and got more stuff back from New Orleans too, right? Yeah. Like like to to fill things. I mean, because Zion, I mean, to me is would probably have been worth more than AD, especially uh, on an expiring contract. And um, and I mean, you get four years, four years of rookie scale, and then team control via matching. I mean, yeah. that's insanely valuable. I mean, Zion, if we we don't really do contract rankings very much anymore, but he would be very high on the list. Well, so it is interesting to me, though. I mean, I do think Zion is the kind of guy who might peak very early in his career because he's so reliant on athleticism, kind of Derrick Rose style. He Rose was someone I said that about too back in the day, and uh, you know that, that ended up being true. I, I do worry about Zion's injury history, and then also just you know the lack of outside shooting uh you know if the athleticism wins so you know I, I would expect him to have his best years at like 23 24 Blake Griffin kind of another player of that ilk so I think the idea of like oh man AD you know Zion is this much younger so he's gonna be more valuable than AD going forward I mean that's probably true but I think it's closer than you might think just looking at the age differential um let's see here who should the Lakers fear most as a potential eight seed? I mean it gotta be New Orleans right I guess I mean, maybe Memphis, the, Memphis did beat them. Yeah. What about the, no, what about I, the Blazers? Nurkic could I, be back. Collins could be back. I mean, Nurkic is, is projected return is the 15th but uh, of March, but will he be back back? You know, like, will sure. he be 100% Nurkic is, is a different yeah. one. I, I think the, the Blazers' lack of forward defenders would be a huge problem. I mean, Ariza is really their only guy that they can try on LeBron. I don't think Ariza can do that job. Yeah. Ariza, uh, I, I like him okay. But yeah, I mean, the, the Blazers' defense has been terrible. But with Nurkic and Whiteside, and, and if you got Collins back as well, I mean, the other thing, too, is like if the Blazers make it, they're obviously playing really well. I mean, I guess that's kind of whoever it is is probably playing the best. Um, I would say Memphis, they would fear the least. Yeah, and I would say New Orleans is the most. I mean, especially considering they've played, you know, they have a different gear offensively now that now that they have Zion. Uh, I'd probably go with Portland because if they make it there, they will be, you know, Dame will be on fire. CJ, they've uh, Portland had a nice win against them at Staples. They're, uh, and they've, I mean, that Portland team, you basically would have the same team back together that won over 50 games the last two years. That's like a higher ceiling to me than what the Pels have shown they can do. And and just the overall inexperience of that Pels team in the playoffs. Like the Blazers know what they're doing. They're not going to make a ton of mistakes. I mean, I, the Lakers will handle whoever it is, but I think Portland going better series. Um, who fits better for the Lakers, Waiters or J.R. Smith as uh, Ravdog24? I think Smith fits better in the LeBron included lineups, which is hilarious considering the memes that exist. But Waiters is 
fits better in the in the non-LeBron minutes. And those, to me, I mean, today notwithstanding, I mean, we're recording this and the Lakers bench players actually did pretty well. They they outscored the Clippers in the non-LeBron minutes. But that isn't that is the, the the common thing. And, and as crazy as it sounds, considering there are far more minutes with LeBron than without him, I think they have more options there. So I would rather go with Waiters. Yeah, I think so. I think Waiters gives you more defensively as well, more switching ability yes. as well. I mean, we saw in that game today, they went to some units with Markeith at center when davis was out of the game and it, it seemed like kind of more of the theory of what they were trying to do some more defensive versatility um another question about could waiters possibly be worse than rondo uh he could possibly be worse than him yeah i but mean rondo however, was good hey, today hey, I, I will but admit he, but here's the thing waiters does not have the same kind of power within the organization so if waiters is as bad as rondo he's not going to play whereas yeah. rondo will will has a more likely chance of playing uh, is the Lakers' lack of secondary ball handling an overrated problem for LeBron to play 43 minutes a game in the playoffs? Well, they also need LeBron to guard Kawhi Leonard a lot against the Clippers, right? And so if you're and teams a- are going to try to take it out of his hands too. Yeah, and if you're going to ask him to handle the ball and initiate every single play and make every play and play 43 minutes a game and guard a good wing player on the other team, it's asking a lot. All right, we ready for the Grizz? Well, uh, yeah. we're, we're ready for a quick break here first. Let's do that. Okay. Danny, what are the fundamentals on the Memphis Grizzlies? They're still 500. 32 and 32, 4 and 4 since the last 1560, negative 1.1 net rating, right around league average. Um, They're 20th on offense, 16th on defense still, which is impressive considering the absences that they have. And they are the current, I believe they're the disparity champions right now, at least in the West, in terms of uh, ELO versus Raptor. Elo gives them a 54% chance of making the playoffs. Raptor puts them at 16% and gives them and thinks they'll win 38 games for ninth. So you need to be you need to be rooting for the for the Elo model if you are in Memphis. Okay, Grizz fan, uh, I'm a Depper. Hopefully that's not something dirty that I just said. Uh, scanning? No, I don't think so. But I'm sure someone will enlighten me if it is. Who do you think the Grizz look at with the MLE this July, assuming they re-sign DeAnthony Melton and don't bring back Josh Jackson? They would have the full MLE available. It does seem to me like the plan will be for using cap space in 2021 to really bring in a, a starter level of piece. And it should be a better free agent crop, although certainly more competition as well. But if they can take the next step, they might be a little bit more attractive to free agents. So it could end up just being a one-year deal for them. As of now, they project for $35 million in space in that summer. And so you cut into that with a full MLE contract. Now maybe you can't get the player that you want. So it would have to be someone I think that they project as a long-term starter that they're getting on a value contract. Is there anyone who comes to mind that fits into that box for you? that could be available at that type of a price. I don't know that it'll be available, but I think Bielitsa would be, if he gets, he has a non-guarantee. If yeah, he, I think he'll be back in Sacramento. I think so That's too, but he could, he could be available. <sighs> it's not a great class for those types of guys. I could pull up my... Yeah, I mean, Bertans won't, that'll be, it'll be That's too... That's too little money. Yeah, well, so what do they need? I mean, they need probably one more, yeah, they could use some some type of a stretch four or a shooter at the, the two or the three. You know, yeah, so I would just say yeah, a shooting at a two through four would be would be the art. Yeah, um, and like you want somebody who can st- you know who can stay on the floor against good opponents. So like Crab, you know, like Crab could shoot, but he can't do enough else. Yeah, I mean, like a 
a Pat Connaughton. You know, I don't know if that would be the full MLE for someone like that. Probably wouldn't be. Uh, you know, Alan Crabb looks like he's about done. I don't see Wes Matthews leaving the the box necessarily, but maybe things could change there. I think actually Malik Beasley is someone who would have looked pretty good for them, but I don't see him going anywhere now. And that's I also I also think agent. he's played. I think he's played himself out of that price point. Yeah, I, I think you are probably right about I, that. I, I could see I could see GR three being a possibility there. He doesn't really fit all check all the boxes but he might check enough of them yeah and i mean they really i don't know that they need a backup center at this point who can shoot it's not being enough for gala so i don't expect them to be particularly active i could see them even breaking that up into a couple of smaller contracts as well um what else we got here for oh, a lot of gross questions here um, a lot of gross questions I'll, I'll do this one from from john perry is there any way that memphis can become a powerhouse in the west job becoming an MVP candidate is is the biggest way. I like Jaron a lot, but he profiles more as a complimentary player yeah. to a superstar. Well, and he superstar. he's got to turn into that awesome defensive player that he's supposed to be. Right. So so you get those two things, and then I think you need a a wing that can push guys like Dylan Brooks down the pecking order a little bit, and that's a, a big ask when you think about where Memphis is. Maybe Justice Winslow could be a part of that conversation. I think that's that's the whole idea of why they gave up what they did to do so. But it's it's really hard i mean it wouldn't shock me at all to see the grizzlies become a very good team but to become a powerhouse i mean you think about how many things have to go right for any team to get to that point and a team that doesn't have a lot of ways to improve other than the passage of time it's a lot to ask uh harry palin any realistic chance that DeAnthony Melton becomes a significant part of Memphis's future? Yeah, I think so. I don't see him as I a like starter, it. though, because he's just not going to shoot it well enough. He hasn't proven that he can do that. That's what they desperately need at the two, especially if you're starting to think of Dylan Brooks as a three now. So, I mean, if you're thinking about this team with Ja and Moran, this gets also into Francis Mack's question as well about you know what type of player you should be targeting to improve. I mean, I think they need an awesome bomber at the two. Maybe he doesn't need to defend that well. And then a combo forward guy who can shoot, who can either play the four when Jaron is at the five, or if you want it, you can go a little bit bigger and play that guy at the three and dylan brooks at the two or you bring brooks off the bench uh that seems like the what the what they need to really and i still don't know if that becomes i mean it's really hard to win a championship without like real big stars on the wing so you know but that's where that maybe is where your path to being like a perennial 55 win type of team yeah i I agree with that and i I know their uh, their hope is that justice winslow is that guy but we're just gonna have to see and and the other thing with melton i mean we've seen both but especially dylan brooks guard bigger guys more effectively than i anticipated but to do that it's very different to do that like for a seven game series against somebody else so that's part of why i think wiggins is so important for them yeah question about josh jackson uh, is he worth keeping around given the hole at the wing uh yeah because it doesn't really cost him anything as long as it's less than what his option would have been for next year that got declined which i think is like nine million bucks or or so uh yeah 8.9 million dollars so as long as you're not going to go over the tax he's someone that you can re-sign there's kind of no reason not to now if that's going to cost you melton or you're going to not use the mle i think they can get better players uh with the mle than with josh jackson so if they're worried about that or jackson just has too much of a market which i don't think he would i mean he's still he's making incremental improvements but i'm still like not buying him as a shooter and that's ultimately what they need to me are we ready for the wolves uh let's do one more here okay 
Do you Let's think? Do oh yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. You're doing the same question I was going to do. Do you okay. think that John Morant uh, would will perform significantly worse in a playoff series when teams game plan for him? Maybe right now, you know, like because he's still getting stronger, and, we, and especially if they're calling, you know, calling fewer fouls, and everything. But his his athleticism is something that you can't always game plan for. You yeah. can try to get guys back, but it's not it's not something you can scheme away. I think he will perform worse, but it's not even because of him. It's just because they have so many non shooters that those guys are just not going to get guarded, and he's going to have nowhere to go i actually think yeah, that's fair. I, I think his game he to me the thing that people aren't talking about enough is just how nasty he is in an iso and i think that could hold up really well in the playoffs especially if they get enough shooting around him but i don't think that they have that this year so i think it's more about who's around him than him but certainly i mean the the uptick and in intensity and and all that is a challenge for any rookie player wolves Minnesota, 19 and 44, 3 and 5 since the last 1560, 24th in net rating, negative uh, 4.3, 20, a very disappointing though Towns missed time, 24th in offense, also 21st in defense, 538's Raptor model projects they will win 26 games, which is 14th in the West and not a playoff team. I want to start with this one from John Gilman. Uh, can the Timberwolves ever get enough defenders to overcome D'Angelo Russell and Towns deficiencies to become a team with a good enough defense to win a playoff series in the West? To answer this very specific question yes I, I think they could have a very good offense Towns is unbelievable I think that he will help Russell and to win a single series yeah I think they can do that I mean Denver Denver had a better defense than would be my expected value but it's a can question not a will question uh so yeah I think they could you know get some things on the wing I think there's also some untapped potential with with Towns as well so I think they could but once you get into that like conference final team threshold which is kind of which is beyond what he's asking then it gets really hard especially when you consider the limited resources they have to find those players yeah I mean it, it would kind of have to be one of those years where you know you get up Portland as the third seed right like could you see a six-seeded Wolves team fully formed beating a team like last year's Portland team yeah I think I could see that I could see that possibly happening but you know a real team I don't see them beating a team that's like a real championship level team I don't see them getting there because of the lack of defense I Russell's scheme ability in the playoffs as well and I think it wouldn't shock me when Towns comes back if we're talking about this team as like a top five offense. Like I think Towns is that good and to actually have shooting around him now for the first time. I'm not going to predict they'll be a top five offense. I predict they'll definitely be a top 10 offense and especially when he's on the floor. And then I think, you know, the defense probably going to be tr- pretty atrocious, at least as of right now. I want to do this one from Nate Westerman. It also ties in with some Warriors questions we didn't answer. So I like to kind of circle back. Uh, what would your strategy for the Wolves be with their 2020 picks, assuming, you know, it's three to five and then 16 or 17? And so the answer was like flip it for a proven player or just take the best players you can. And the the challenge with this, and this comes up with the Warriors, is first of all, you have to deal with the abstract of like what what play, what picks value it. But trading trading lottery picks for stars in a class that nobody really likes is a lot harder to do, especially if you don't have really good filler salary. And the Wolves are going to run into that problem. Warriors might be trying to do that too. They are, yeah. So yeah. so I think I think they're running in. The Warriors have more filler salary because they can do something with the Iguodala trade exception if it's very quick. And then they also have, if they want to use Wiggins for a higher value guy, for the for the Wolves, remember that a lot of their expensive salaries are actually coming off the books. You know, they they traded away Jeff Teague for Alan Crabb. 
have who they cut and then they all, all those so they do still have james johnson but it's it's hard and also remember the wolves are still a pretty young team towns and and russell both came into the league young so unless a, a really good fit was available i would be leaning towards just using those picks proper but you know maybe somebody does really like a player unusually that, that you don't yeah the draft is going to be fascinating for them as as we really get into it but just some of the positions of the guys i mean i, I do think that you know maybe anthony edwards makes more sense for these guys than some other teams just with, with his athleticism but oh and another guy with a questionable motor for defense that's one of the things i've heard about yeah be fun. yeah that's uh it's a little bit of a concern i mean like edwards kind of seems kind of wigginsy to be honest like we're gonna go right back to with andrew wiggins again six years later but yeah and you know center they obviously don't really have a use for with james wiseman point guard they got russell already i mean to me i wouldn't not draft a point guard because i had russell but the wolves obviously feel much differently as does uh carl Anthony towns and i don't think russell playing at the two like your defense is just gonna be too bad you know it's bad enough if he's guarding a small player then he has to he's no physical toughness so if he has to guard a larger player then it becomes a problem um let's see here we got uh, about three minutes left no two minutes left so let's uh let's do a lightning round here for the rest of these well we got a question on what do you think of malik beasley's recent play and basically what, like kind of what what is his market and the role there's a there's a portion of this that's where we you know like i don't think that he's going to be a 62 percent true shooting guy like for the rest of his career and i don't think he's going to necessarily shoot 43 percent from three though he is career now up to 39 percent um on albeit a lower volume per possession and per overall than he's done so far um but i like him as a potential starter and that's where i was talking about with the rubber meeting the road is i think that he you could if as long as you get him on a reasonable contract he's your starter unless something better comes along and that's a totally fine place to be you don't ha- especially because wings you know are perimeter players you could kind of slot them around you can do different things so yeah i'd say target giving him you'd love to have him giving you to like 25 minutes a game but if you need him to start we can yeah, and they just so desperately need shooting. I think this is a needed experiment to just have real shooters around Carl Anthony Towns and just understand what that can do for you and just see, like, how let's see how ridiculous this guy really can be and how good our offense can be. Um, and maybe it won't be as good as I'm necessarily expecting it to. And clearly, if they're going to get serious, I mean, they're going to need a new Robert Covington to replace the old Robert Covington, basically. Uh, not that I, I think that was a bad trade necessarily. And we'll see who they get with those picks that they weren't, uh, they got good value for Covington to get basically Hernan Gomez and Beasley and that first round pick from uh, from the Hawks. It looks like a pretty good pick from Brooklyn. Yeah, I think, I think that's... Ah, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what that looks like. But yeah, I mean, I'm not sure whether Hernan Gomez and BC will be able to keep this up uh, by any means. But they at least are going to get guarded out there. There's more than you can say for a lot of the guys they've had in there. Pels? Yeah, New Orleans, 28 and 36, 6 and 5 since the last 15 and 60. They're around even in net rating, plus 0.3. 11th in offense, 18th in defense. And the, uh, the other Raptor Elo split, uh, Raptor 62% chance to make the playoffs, Elo 19%, basically the reverse of Memphis. I want to start with this question. Um, I think it's a, kind of a quicker one to answer from Anthony uh, D80. Is New Orleans best off in the long term trading in group from cheap features or finding the best fit around Zion, bringing him back for Max? Um, first of all, 
trading somebody like Brandon Ingram is very tough because remember that you not only need to be on board with the other team, but Ingram needs to be on board too. Yeah, I think the idea is he's just talking about re-signing him and then and then moving him at some later yeah, well, point. Yeah, I, I think you, you re-signed him, whether it's yeah. matching or signing it, and then at that point, you get a lot more time to evaluate. And my instinct is that Ingram is going to be a better fit for another team than he is with the Pelicans. But I do think that there's a chance that it works, especially with Ingram shooting. And I think they owe it to themselves because almost all of these types of trades don't lead to you getting better. It's just a way of like kind of trading currency kind of. You could think of it that way. And so I, I would I would try it out and see where it goes. And I mean, I think that the structure of the time uh, of what, when Zion came back is going to allow that to make sense. I disagree with you. I think, yeah, Ingram is not a perfect fit. I think it's really more defensively. Offensively. Agreed. Def- defense is what scares me. Yeah, offensively, I actually, now that he can shoot and play off the ball, I think it's fine because there are going to be times with Zion, especially if he's not a great free throw shooter, where at the end of games, you're going to want someone who can create from the mid-range. Drew Holiday is probably not going to be on this team forever. And frankly, he's as a primary perimeter scorer, he's probably not quite efficient enough for that now would you love to have someone who fits into that heliocentric model more where he really draws the defense sets everyone else up more than we've seen from ingram puts more pressure on the rim than ingram does yeah you would like to have that but you still just having any kind of a wing who can do the scoring that ingram can and can play some off the ball now as well with his shooting as soon as you trade him you'll be looking for a player like that you That's just true. finding and they don't really have anyone else in their system right now who profiles as an initiator from the perimeter, as a primary scorer on the perimeter. And so is he imperfect? Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I would have been pushing the train of trading him had he not developed this outside shot this year, but he has. And so now that he's done that, he can play with Zion and he's he's not a perfect solution, but I think he's better than anything that you're going to get. Because as soon as you trade him, you're now looking for a player who's like him. And I don't know that you can just find someone better than him so easily. Well, here here's here's my, I, I mean, I think we're, we're more in agreement than disagreement here. Yeah. But I also think that Brandon Ingram is exactly the type of player who might be in a in a value bubble especially if the Pelicans, you know, there are no expectations for them in the playoffs. If he can't create a shot as reliably against better defenders and he can't defend himself at that level. And so max him out this year and then potentially like, and I don't think David Griffin's going to do this, but then see who's, see if somebody thinks the name value, he potentially could be an all-star next year, get into that sort of thing and then use that to actually, if somebody overvalues him, get something for him. That's possible. Uh, question on Gentry from uh, Luis saying that New Orleans is by far the best talent out of the teams fighting for the eighth seed. Is it time to replace Gentry? I mean, they started 6-22, and and they also have been extremely unlucky. They've won five games fewer than expected based on their point differential. You consider how many injuries they had early on. The fact, And by far the most talent are they talking about now? Because they didn't have Zion for most of the yeah, season. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're also playing better than any of these teams right now, too, when they have more talent. And so now, do I trust him in the long term to be like, yeah, we're going to get Zion Williamson to defend, which looks like it's going to be quite the project? I don't know if I do, but I, I mean, I, I don't think that like Gentry you're looking at right now, you're like, man, this guy has done a terrible job this year. I mean, he's had, you know, Jackson Hayes to work with. They started off the season 
playing a lot of guys who really just shouldn't have been in the, in the rotation. They've had a ton of injuries again. So I, I think they're playing about at the level of their talent now that everyone has been healthy and they still don't have any kind of a backup center to play next to Zion. It's It's been a tough fit. And I think, you know, he's gotten a fair amount out of Zion. Lonzo Ball is playing way better. Brandon Ingram is playing way better. Maybe some of that's Fred Vincent, but he's put those guys in position to succeed. And so I think in terms of development, this has been a successful year for them. I don't know if they want to retain him or not, but he doesn't just like blaring red light, get rid of this guy. That doesn't pop out to me. I, I like this one from Diego Rubio. Uh, what do you think about Aaron Baines with the mid-level exception for a couple of years, basically play either him or Nicola Melli with Zion? And Baines, so the years will be very important there. Baines is 33 now. He'll turn 34 early in next season. I, I like the conceptual the conceptual fit. I mean, he, Baines is a big that can space the floor and protect the rim it's and that's good to have would so using the mle on him though the downside there is that so presumably he's then ostensibly let's say replacing Derek favors is that then you don't get basically you don't have any other ways to improve the team in the immediate so getting more help getting more help on the forward line you know all those sorts of things can't really happen but I, I think he conceptually he's a he's a pretty nice fit they could also like look at christian wood they could look at a couple other things but i mean ba- i think baines and zion is would be worthwhile to consider yeah, I'd imagine that Wood is going to be back uh, in Detroit. Uh, as Joseph Same. says, could they plausibly bring him back this summer? I mean, I don't think, I mean, they released him. Like, he probably doesn't want to go back there, frankly, all things being equal. I, I don't think he, I don't know if he's an ideal front court mate for Zion because he's also pretty inexperienced defensively. I mean, he's shown a few signs there. You know, that's something that I, I'm going to look at very closely because he is a wonderful offensive center. He's shooting the three really well. He can finish around the rim when necessary. But, you know, it's like they need like someone who could be a good conventional pick and roll defender like Derek Favors has given them. Um, We also had a question about that as our last one here. Charles McCrary, what could they be doing to help New Orleans pick and roll defense? Uh, How much is scheme? How much is personnel? I think it's all personnel. I mean, when Favors is out there, they've been fine we talked about this uh that they play like the eighth or ninth ranked defense in the nba when Derek favors is out there and so he did a great job in pick and roll defense in that dallas game is the last one of their games that we watched it's just you know they don't have anyone who can play conventional pick and roll defense outside of him as a center hayes is too inexperienced Melly doesn't have the physical capability zion maybe has a physical capability but just has no idea what he's doing out there any kind of a pick and roll at him has been a disaster so what could you do i mean maybe you could try switching more if you're uh, and then just dare the other team to post up or just okay you want to go at Zion one-on-one we'll just help out there as opposed to just letting you attack in a conventional pick and roll defense I mean maybe that's what you can do but and with Derek Favors on the floor, they did change up their scheme. In December, Andrew Lopez has written about this to go with more of a conservative drop coverage. And that really has worked. That fixed their defense. You remember, Dane, they were like the worst defense in the NBA the first two, three weeks of the season. Part of that was bad shooting luck, but part of it was that they were doing the scheme. And now since Favors is back and they're doing a, a more conservative scheme, it's working pretty well. I mean, I think their personnel just sucks uh outside of favors and then ingram as as a help guy crashing in from the wings isn't that good either he can't get through a screen up top so unless it's just switching more i don't really know what else they could be doing frankly maybe maybe just trying to do a better job of like not guarding the people who need to not be guarded but that's uh that's pretty marginal should we turn to okc 
Let's do it. The Thunder are 39-24, and 7-3 since the last 1560, still one of the league's best success stories. 13th in net rating, plus 2.3. 13th in offense, 10th in defense. Uh, 538 projects that they will win 49 games, which would be a tie with the Dallas Mavericks for the 6 and 7 seeds. They're going to make the playoffs. And I want to start with this question from Warner West. Do the Thunder need to tear down still, or should they just use their current roster and draft picks to reconstruct? And a couple of important things to take away here. One, the Thunder are relying a lot on veterans. So if you're talking about who's going to be, that what's important is the next great Thunder team, not the next good Thunder team, then there isn't a lot there right now. I mean, I think if you're optimistic about maybe Terrence Ferguson or Hamadou Diallo, maybe get there, Shea obviously is part of it. But there isn't a lot else. This cupboard is more bare, I think, than people think because they're getting a lot from these veterans like Chris Paul and Gallo and depending on how you see Stephen Adams, Stephen Adams. So if their goal is to build like a championship foundation, then they need a lot more. And that's going to, and it's not going to be through free agency. So maybe you do need to tear it down. But if it's just to be a consistent, like decent team, they can, they can probably do more like what Maury did and never truly tank. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, and maybe Gilgis Alexander is just going to be too good for that at this point. But it, it does seem like the plan is to tear it down to some degree. And, you know, maybe they you can always kind of limit Gilgis Alexander's minutes if he's really that good. But and I think at some point they're going to want to just take on some bad money. So and try to get it, more assets for that it, it's also possible that circumstances could dictate this a little bit more maybe the market falls out for gallo and he'd rather go back there on a short-term thing and then you go one more year and or the other way let's say the knicks make a reckless offer for chris paul and then you go well we might as well just take that yeah that sounds like uh something that could happen <laughs> potentially that that has been rumored. the brand is strong um this one tukey dukey did we underrate how much okc messed up the roster construction around westbrook all those years and uh not me i mean i've been harping on it since like 2013 that they just didn't have enough shooting they didn't have enough three and d type role players that they then you know trading for waiters and canter didn't work kevin durant recently talked about his departure from okc as he was sick of being the only person who could make a three-pointer uh, which was uh i definitely agreed with i mean the investment in robertson to me was just uh, you know maybe you could say hey what else were they supposed to do but it was just really hard to build a good offense around him and now i don't know if they messed up the roster construction because they would have got worse defensively than they were and and part of what worked for them in 16 17 before they got paul george was you had westbrook out there he could just do everything for you he could get enough in transition that the lack of shooting wouldn't kill you and then they would just defend like crazy and you knew that Westbrook could always get you some kind of a shot at least and at the end of games they were so good in the clutch because they just shut teams down and then Westbrook would just go shoot at the other end um I don't think that that 16-17 team remotely underperformed its talent and also when you lose KD I mean there was no way they were going to fill that hole at the three they just didn't have the resources to do that when they extended Westbrook and then uh obviously they made the trade for George Robertson then you know wasn't a part of the group anymore they tried to get Carmelo to boost the offense I I thought that was not you know that was a trade that people I think most of them liked at the time so I think it really goes back more to the KD days where you'd say things were mismanaged than once KD left and you know I mean Stephen Adams was a good player that they had under contract now should you have paid Stephen Adams 28 million you know maybe not maybe you let him get to restricted free agency and you play that game a little bit although I think uh Presti to me I don't recall him ever letting someone get to restricted free agency and then re-signing him 
I think that their policy is like you either take our extension or say goodbye. But that's uh, yeah, I mean that's that's what happened with Oladipo and other than well, the injury and and, uh, and and James Harden. Dude, let's, let's not forget that one. <laughs> oh boy. Ah uh, yeah. All right. Let's. Uh, if you're OKC, what kind of contract would you offer to Lou Dort? Uh, I mean, I think you because he's on a two way. You can just get him for basically the you know, not quite a hinky special, but you know maybe probably fully guaranteed next year maybe a little guarantee in year two late guarantee date something like that i mean coming off of a two-way he just doesn't have any kind of leverage now they want him on the team for the playoffs maybe that's a little bit of leverage to get but i mean guys coming off of two ways we've seen they just don't have any kind of i mean you know damian lee only got he was playing really well he only got six hundred thousand guaranteed for next year you remember like ty wallace he struggled to get a contract there's a lot of these guys who have actually played on two ways just haven't had the leverage so he's going to just get you know maybe maybe a full year guaranteed um how is oklahoma city's three-guard lineup holding up and do you think it will translate to playoff basketball i do not think it will translate most for the most part i mean there yeah. there are more depends teams who that, they're playing yeah there are more teams that chris paul can defend opposing small forwards on that are not making the playoffs than are and that becomes a big problem especially because the thunder will be a lower seed they're not going to be yeah. you know facing facing the eight seed or anything yeah. like that i think so. against utah they could hold up okay yeah there's specific there's specific matches but if we're if, if i'm going to make a projection without knowing their opponent i'm going to say they'll run into problems yeah and also not only that but the lack of depth as well Phoenix Suns 25 and 38 they've gone four and six in their last 10 negative 1.6 net rating is 19th in the NBA 18th on offense 20th on defense they project for 13th in the conference at 33 wins so there's a large number of teams clustered around there uh none of the projection systems have them with even a one percent chance of making the playoffs at this point in time let's begin with Andrew Freeman at AJ Freeman 29 what is DeAndre Ayton's ceiling versus his projected outcome? Ceiling, I mean, with his physical tools, is probably being a more dominant player on offense, definitely, than he's been so far. And then being a... I mean, his defensive stuff has generally looked pretty good this year. So the idea that he could be a positive player on both ends of the floor, that would make him a top top 10, top 5 center in the league. I think that that's ceiling. Expected outcome is... Well, is below yeah. that uh, is below that on both ends of the floor yeah i mean let's say it's ceiling huh i mean i don't see him ever being as good as joel Embiid or nikola Jokic or carl anthony towns offensively and those guys will all hopefully be around uh, for some time here i don't think he'll be as good as chris Stapps porzingis offensively just because of the shooting uh, that he provides just you know ha- having to guard that guy with with your center so far out on the floor is huge even if he doesn't he's not incredibly fit and porzingis also is starting to play a lot better too of the last three four weeks or so since the break essentially um so yeah i mean i'd put the offensive ceiling as you know five six something like that i don't you know the posting up is he going to become a dominant post player the total lack of free throws that's i don't think that's something that you're ever going to completely defeat when he just has this his game just doesn't draw that contact around the rim that draws whistles for whatever reason um and then defensively you know he doesn't have the most amazing instincts i think you know he can can he become sort of like what clink capella was in houston that would kind of be what i at his best you know so maybe kind of lower end of the top 10 on defense there uh maybe if we're really talking the true ceiling i'm underrating him a little bit but um you know i'd say if you just this where does he end up you know like the ninth best center in the nba seventh best center in the nba something like that uh, although being kind of solid on both ends at center 
I, I really want you to have that one ridiculous skill other than just you know being a good pick and roll finisher around the rim which a lot of guys can do and I don't think he's gonna be such a devastating post player that you really want to run the whole offense through him undo this one from at elbow score underscore jumper it's actually very similar to the next question from Jordan what would the Suns need to do to make the playoffs next year and I think one really telling stat here is that when Devin Booker has been off the floor about 1600 possessions this year per Quinny glass that takes out the garbage time as well the Suns have a actually they have a pretty they have a legit defense they're 107.5 and they're forcing a lot of turnovers and they're getting a lot of defensive rebounds some of that might not sustain all the way their offensive rating is 102 and Rubio's on the floor for some of those minutes Cam Johnson coming on maybe that could help some of it but I think they they need to get more they need another source of reliable offense in those minutes another another guy who can create seams for all these guys like Oubre and Cam Johnson and Aaron Baines if he theoretically returned they're they're good dependent talents but they're dependent talents so I think that's the the other big thing is a a player who can be a can be an engine for them when De- when Devin Booker either isn't available or just isn't on. Yeah, and uh, when you talk about the offseason, they will probably have a chance to draft a point guard. We'll see where they end up uh, in the lottery, and I think they should take that opportunity rupio is not going to be around forever and is always an injury risk as well he's actually probably stayed relatively healthy this year to what you could expect there aren't a lot of guys available who are going to be huge scores they do have the 20 million or so in cap space this offseason uh you know i think a bogdan bogdanovich evan fournier type could be a really use to them i mean other than Johnson, they also don't have like crazy shooting from the outside either. And, and that 20 million, of course, assumes that sh- they move on from Sharich. So they also, I mean, you really need some other perimeter creator, at least who can come off the bench or, or you know, a real legit backup point guard. And then they also need a starting power forward as well. I mean, Danilo Gallinari would be the name that you would think of where maybe if they add him, they could be good enough offensively to just absolutely cook next year and make it in the playoffs on the strength of that. I mean, he's... But he's the only guy available. I mean, maybe like Paul Millsap, if he has like, like still has a lot in, but you know, he's more of a 25 minute game. Turns turns their defense around enough. But he's more of a 25 minute game. He's going to be 35. Um, So it's really tough for for me to see. Bertans, maybe to just uh, and, and just go all in on offense. But yeah, there, I mean, this is. Devin Booker is good. You know, I think he, he was flirting with all NBA a lot of the year, not on pace to make it now, unless he really turns things around this last month or so. And Aiton is the, the other guy that they really have in the pipeline. Nobody else is really just like a super high end starter to me. So they'd have to see a lot of development across a lot of positions or make the signing like Gallo or something like that. And, you know, I mean, honestly, the only way Gallo is probably coming there is like, four years 80 million and that's not amazing for them either especially when we're talking about him being necessary to like have them make the playoffs it's not like he's pushing them into the second round conversation or anything like that what did i think of the improvement of kelly Oubre this year asked uh Daco carter um yeah i think it was encouraging i think he's shown the three-point shooting is just incrementally seemed to improve every year he does a great job with their transition stuff he's improved his ability to get to his right hand a little bit and finish at the rim you know defensively i don't think it was you know a market improvement for him he definitely showed more scoring ability is he he's still really more of a secondary threat not someone that you just are going to throw it to as the primary option on a play a lot of time i think but he took as many steps forward as you could have hoped for this year and it was really a shame with that knee injury 
And where Ubre slots in on a team that's more competitive than this current Suns team, I, I mean, I think he, to me, he's the type of player who's like, you'd rather he didn't start, but he probably will because there aren't enough forwards in this league. I think he's a starting level of player. It's just, it's a little difficult because he's not the guy that you want defending the other team's best player. Exactly. But so he's like a lower usage yeah. offensive guy and not your defensive guy. Yeah. That's exactly what I mean. You don't want yeah. him starting. Yeah. But he's, uh, you know, there's 15 of those guys in the, in the league probably that you feel comfortable defending that best forward. And as we talked about, th- there aren't so many of those best forwards that on an average regular season night, you can't kind of get by here. Let's go to the Blazers. 28 and 37. Again, we're recording this during the day on Sunday, so it won't quite be up to date maybe by the time you listen to this, but close enough. Two and five in their last seven. That has uh, been a struggle. 20th in the NBA with a negative 1.7 net rating. They have the 10th ranked offense, uh, which is certainly a disappointment for them, and even more so, 27th on defense. Eesh. Yusuf Nurkic will be returning for them on March 15th. That is his goal, as he said to Chris Haynes. Good to hear that. Remember, he had the setback with the calf and obviously came off uh, that traumatic fractured leg a season ago. They project for 37 wins, which is 10th in the conference. 90% chance of the playoffs per Raptor, and Elo has them at 5%. Uh, Their schedule is relatively easy though isn't it down the end i believe so yeah i i think that it's um i think it's one of the like five to ten easiest i'm pulling up so tankathon only does it in terms of one loss record they don't include some of the other nuanced things but they have portland as the 20 as the uh i guess that'd be the the eighth easiest schedule the rest of the way okay that's not terrible and dame is back now that's gonna help cj mccollum has been playing really well just maybe they can get a little more depth up front relying on nurkic obviously and collins to come back and fix this defense though i mean that's gonna be really rough so like i was saying i mean i think if they make the playoffs they'll be playing well enough that they could be a decent threat in that first round i mean not a threat to actually win but you know give a give a team a series to some degree and not just get totally blown out uh 2019 piston style in the first round but uh, the odds are against them getting there right now. I mean, and I think a lot of that is just based on the fact that they played poorly, not even necessarily that like the schedule or the odds are so difficult for them. So uh, Thunder fan at Shire Bill asks, will Portland start clearing the books to sell the team out of the luxury tax? And well, you can't really do much for that now. They are far enough away. I don't think just waving a guy and getting him claimed at the end uh, is going to get him there. And, and and they're not a tax team for next year. So yeah, they should. They may even have a little bit of cap space to work with. Uh, so and, and they could you know, maybe they resign Whiteside. Seems like it hasn't gone amazingly well there. Uh, and but they don't really have any other major free agents, so they'll have the full mid level to spend. Maybe they try and bring back Carmelo even next year, though certainly he has uh, been a big part of their their defensive problems. So yeah, I don't think that's necessarily a huge consideration ultimately. Um, what, what else uh, do you want to ask here? I want to do this one from, from John Galman. Um, Anthony Simons is thought of as a building building block for the Pacers, but his plus minus and advanced stats are not encouraging. That is correct. Basically, are, are Blazers fans overrating him or, or overvaluing him? And I would say that from what I've seen, Blazers fans and Blazers management are overvaluing him. Simons is, you would say that the, the conceit, the sales pitch for him is that he could be a dynamic offensive player, but the Blazers offense hasn't been dynamic when he 
he's been on the floor and he's not really creating that many shots for himself. Can I ask you something? Like, let's say he works out the way people hope that he's going to. And I don't really have an understanding exactly of like what the zeitgeist is there about him among Blazers fans or media or whatever. But let's say he works out in the way that they're hoping that he can. Like, what do you see him being? A worse Lou Williams? Way worse? Huh. Yeah, he could I mean, be, he'd so- be better defensively. Yeah. But I mean, he's super thin. But I guess I guess Simons could he has he could thicken up with with some time. But he doesn't yeah. play with much force defensively, which is the bigger no. concern. For I, I mean, he friend. fights to get through screens. Like I, I haven't thought his effort is atrocious. Like, he hasn't stood out in that way uh, for me. I mean, I don't think he's helping. But he, he's not. I don't think he's just a total lost cause four years from now. No, I don't think he's a lost cause. But the but for me, the bigger concern is that I don't think he's good enough, dynamic enough offensively to to really roll that with. I, I brought up the idea and you pushed back on me about like the with Harry Giles and they're not the same player, but like that he might figure it out. But I wouldn't want to necessarily be the place where they where it takes the time for him to figure it out. And that's really where I am with Simons right now. And that doesn't mean you know, like don't have him on the roster or something like that. But but the opportunity cost theoretically of portland not bringing in better bench guards because they have anthony simons could be a big problem just like it has been this year i mean so just for the point of reference the blazers have been outscored by 9.4 points per possession when simon's been on the floor and their offense has been below average and that's not his fault entirely especially the defense part of it yeah i mean if i had to look at the problems with their bench he'd probably be you know third or fourth for me third or fourth but them not signing anybody else to to that that could slide him down in the rotation that is a problem yeah, I agree with you. Uh, we're getting a bunch of questions about Gary Trent. I, I did not have a chance to do the film work that I wanted to do on him before we did this. So maybe we can save that a, a little bit until next uh, time because so much of it is whether he can defend or not. I mean, I do think he's just, he's got the strength that's been my observations uh, of him but he's not quite quick enough he's not doesn't have the athleticism to like truly impact the ball and make guys uncomfortable other than just if like someone's trying to straight up back him down and you know i think he's didn't have the reputation of like seeing himself as a defensive player and so i think like the stats on him are actually pretty decent he's shooting more threes which is good doesn't ever get a rebound which is kind of a problem so i am uh, i want to watch a few more blazers games over the next couple of weeks uh, and, and talk about him at some point in the future as as our resident trevor Reza optimist i want to ask you this one from rod wilkinson <laughs> uh has trevor Reza's play for the blazers impacted your thoughts and i'll clarify the the, the questioner asked if it pick up his option it is not an option it is a partial guarantee and that difference actually really does matter here because basically what that means is that they can either pay trevor Reza 12.8 million to be on the team next year or they can cut him and pay him 1.8 million it's they wouldn't have bird rights or anything else in that theoretical circumstance they would just they would just be cut um yeah also has an early guarantee date of uh june 30th which you know will kind of impact things especially in this uh this new cracking down on tampering world that we live in allegedly but so but so how do you feel about like basically giving him 12.8 million but then having the full MLE or cutting him and having about 10 million in cap space? I think I'd probably hold on to him because you can then it, he's basically kind of found money and also he's fodder to trade next year just for salary as well. I, mean, I think again if they're going to try and make one last run with Lillard and CJ and I think he can play a role on this team too. Like I, I don't know that I see anyone coming in in free agency like they 
they don't have anyone to replace him sad as it is to say unless you think rodney hood's gonna be back from the achilles or nasir little or trent is ready to step in and i don't believe that to be the case so but it basically is just there's no opportunity cost for that uh that 12.8 million because it basically takes them from 10 million in cap room which you can get with the mle anyway to the cap to keep him around and so i think especially just to get more salary fodder to trade maybe he'll contribute next year it costs like actual money out of the owner's pocket but no i think i probably would keep around not even necessarily because he's worth it but just because they have no way to replace him there's also the the benefit theoretically of having bird rights on all of their other pending free agents like maybe they could bring hassan whiteside back at a smaller number and then the opportunity cost on that is lower you don't have to use the mid-level on a backup center things like that Okay, let's move to the Sacramento Kings. Three teams left here, six minutes on the clock for them. Sacramento is 28 and 35, 5 and 2 since the last 1560. They're up to 21st in net rating, 21st in offense, 19th in defense. The Raptor model projects that they will win 37 games tied for 11th, 11% chance of making the playoffs on that one, and the ELO has it at 14. So there's actually pretty similar between those two. Let's start with the question of um, from from Shaquille Saeed. How should the Kings approach this, this offseason in their future? Bagley's been injury prone. They have Buddy for a lot of money while Bogdan's deal is back up. Should they blow it up or keep it together? Yeah, I don't understand what blowing it up would really be, uh, unfortunately. And uh, this is why we felt like, okay, you, you turned the corner in 2018-19. And yeah, they did use some of their cap space on players who, who were role players that we thought would help. They haven't helped all that much. But there isn't really an option now to use a ton of cap space even into the future. The summer of 2021 with De'Aaron Fox, maybe they can get to 20 million at that point. That's not going to let you redo things. Free agents don't want to go there. They aren't going to have a high draft pick this year in all likelihood or next year. And so it seems kind of like, well, De'Aaron Fox is awesome. You got some guys around him. Maybe that could get you into the lower rung of the playoffs. I mean, I kind of see them devolving into maybe, you know, what Charlotte was with Kemba Walker for a while, where, all right, in a good year, you you might make the playoffs. And, and, you know, they don't have the advantage of being in the East the way Charlotte was. And so the hope then is that, you know, Bagley is really going to blow up because Heald is 27, Bogdanovich is, is 28, I think and so those guys aren't going to be like so much better in the future to really because to me your goal as a franchise should have at a minimum be let's be a team that's getting home court advantage in the first round right like that's a good enough team where hey if everything breaks right for us in a given year maybe we can get into the conference finals we can get into contention yeah like what happened to Portland yeah and so I don't necessarily see a path forward there for the Kings I mean Marvin Bagley would just have to go crazy and I mean that they had their bite at the apple man it was uh and it's really it's really a shame that they took marvin bagley and uh, like i think he could potentially grow into being like a starter and and being like a solid offensive player but we've mentioned all the crazy fit issues around him so i mean maybe you know i've sort of been like hey you got to just treat it like i don't know if marvin bagley is going to be any good or not we're not going to try and build around him anymore the counter argument to that is well hey maybe the only way we're ever getting good is if marvin marvin bagley turns into a big star so maybe we need to like provide all of the things possible to allow that to happen but i I think i'd still go with the former and still you know i think you just end up kind of trying to make the playoffs with this group and and maybe you can make some good trades around the margins or you hit with a, a draft pick in the teens that you know get a guy to be that second star but you know fox to me is probably you know lower end as a first banana even if he really works out and then second banana is you know looking more like well, a plantain and that gets into 
that gets into one of the plantains are great don't knock plantains um the that gets into the one of the team building lessons that i think we can learn from the kings i i I wrote a piece for the athletic about the wizards one which was basically the perils of giving non-max players max contracts you know that they had all that and i mean bradley peels worked out well in this case it's the perils of giving players 10 to 20 million who aren't key pieces of a really good team so like give Corey joseph that 12.6 million on their books for next year it's really tough yeah well i mean i Um, think if those guys had just played the way that they played last year that that sure. wouldn't have I been mean, too bad. Well, and remember, they also paid Ariza and Dwayne Dedman, who they paid to get off the team. You yeah, know, no, those, those, those are the guys I'm talking about. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, the theory the theory behind a lot of those, I mean, you and I both liked the Dedman yeah. contract. And, and I'm just not sure what else they were supposed to do at that point either, but... Fair, fair enough, but I mean, not pay Harrison Barnes twenty five million a year. That would yeah. Be I mean, that was, that trade really you know, seemed like it was kind of the beginning of their downfall last year. Well, and also they, I think they rushed they rushed things with with Buddy Heald as well. They gave him they gave him power by being convinced that he was a better player than he was before they had to. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah. So should should we do this that, one from that, Bird up here about Fox? Sure. Uh, is he projected a solid starter, a regular sub All Star, a la Mike Conley or Drew Holiday, or an actual? top 25 guy i'd say somewhere between the conley and the top 25 guy would be like the median outcome but i could easily see him being in an all nba level of point guard like that's possible for me i don't i'm not gonna say that's likely but i, I and he's played very very well uh you know he had a rough start to the season but he, i mean he's been driving uh, whatever to whatever extent you could say that they're back in the playoff race you know, he's been driving that what gives me a little bit of pause there is is the same old thing i mean so their half court offense has been better they're they're up to uh, a 98 offensive rating when fox is on the floor in the half court which is pretty good so it's it's can he become that other level where yeah he's a huge force in their transition offense it could do that but to get into like the all nba to get into that drew Connolly tier he needs to be more of a more of a creator in the half court and i think he's getting there and remember fox is just 22 now so there's still a lot of time so I, I think that he's my expected value is that he can get to that Connolly Drew level. He can get to the All NBA level, but there are a lot of really good point guards in the league right now who I think have proven it more offensively than he has. So the Spurs, twenty six and thirty five, four and five in their last nine, negative one point five net rating, eighteenth overall in the NBA, twelfth on offense, twenty fourth on defense. And they project for 34 wins, which would be a tie for 11th in the West. 2% chance of the playoffs per Raptor. Elo gives them a stratospheric 8% chance at the playoffs. Uh, Biggest news for them, LaMarcus Aldridge did not travel with the team, did not play on Sunday against the Cavs. It's now been two weeks, and he's still being ruled out a day in advance of each game. That is not particularly encouraging. And with Jakob Pertl on the shelf as well, with what sounds like a grade one MCL, they are just really hurting any chance that they had to defend without uh, their normal big man rotation is just kind of out the window. That was the story of the Nets game. I was watching that, and they just couldn't do anything to stop what Brooklyn was doing. And remember, this is not the 27 Yankees of a Brooklyn Nets team. Maybe I should have used the Dodgers team, but I didn't have a good one off off the top of my head. I'm a Giants fan. Um, did we do their fundamentals? Yeah, we did. We did. Um, okay, so this this one I think from from Ellie Weiss. It, it's sad because we often end up in a negative place on the Spurs because we we end up being lower than most people. But are the Spurs actually in the worst position of any Western Conference team over the next three to five years? An aging non-playoff team with no players who clearly be quality starters. And my answer is yes. Especially when you consider that Popovich, unfortunately for all of us who love basketball, probably will not be their coach for that much longer. However, I hope he coaches as long as he wants to. But we don't know who that next person is going to be. We don't know if they're going to be a huge value add. And their roster is just 
it's weak long term. They have they have a lot of money tied up in players that are that might be good now, but aren't great fits. They aren't versatile and that don't that don't necessarily profile with the next great Spurs team. Yeah, it's uh, it's true, and you, you you hope that the Spurs' famous development it can overcome that, can create those stars. But if they do, I mean, your three biggest hopes for that are. DeJounte Murray, Derek White, already 26, by the way, or, or close to it. And Lonnie Walker and all those guys have some overlapping redundancies. That's kind of redundant redundancies, well, and, but you know what I mean. And I mean, sure, San Antonio could win the lottery. Like, that's a possibility, but they might be competitive enough, especially as long as Pop is coaching, that they're not going to get that blue chip asset. You know, that that's another huge way to build the next great Spurs team is to get a all-NBA caliber talent, and they don't have one of those right now for the future. I mean, LaMarcus is wonderful when he can play. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's it's really, maybe they can get something for Aldridge and DeRozan. I mean, if it is, it's going to be, you know, a pretty middling pick or prospect, you would think. So I'm... uh, I think you might be right. You'd have, I'd have to really go through all the teams. I mean, I don't think they'll have the worst record of Western Conference teams over the next five years. But if you wanted to rank all of the Western Conference teams in terms of like who is the least likely to make a conference finals over the yeah, next so five years. I was going to say like expected playoff series wins over the next five years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, they have to be right up there. I mean, there's a lot of worse organizations, but I also don't know that they've done the most amazing job since uh, they brought in uh, RC Buford kind of took a step back. They brought in Brian Wright. Um, uh, let, let, me, let me do this, this one, one from, from, uh, from Duncan Manu, frequent critic on Twitter uh, at Manu underscore Duncan. Uh, he wrote a quite the long missive, uh, basically saying that, will you admit that Kawhi was set on forcing his way to LA no matter what the Spurs did and the Spurs diagnosis of a degenerative injury was actually correct. Uh, I mean, I, I don't really know precisely what they diagnosed, what they, what they said to him. I haven't seen any specific reporting on that. It, do I know that they, he didn't just use that as an excuse to get out of there i don't really know maybe he would have tried to do that anyway now i mean the other thing you can say though is if he wanted to win a championship i don't think san antonio was the right place for him i don't think that they were doing that good of a job around him and i think you know you saw that when he went out in the 2017 playoffs i mean obviously they were going against an all-time great team there but you know they just didn't have anything else he was really carrying that team in large part especially in the playoffs and so yeah, I think it, it, the fact that he eventually made his way to L.A. and the Clippers does give some more credence to the idea that he just would have wanted to get out of San Antonio regardless. I mean, it could also be that he still had some bitterness over them not giving him a max extension right away, and and which was the right move cap wise. They had to they wanted to get Lamarcus Aldridge in, and that gave them helped them reload uh, after Tim Duncan. But, uh, and then he also criticizes me for justifying players like Iguodala, Butler, and Kawhi sabotaging their teams to force a trade. And I'd be up in arms about a team doing the same things, like subverting a contract to force a buyout or whatever, or, or treating the player terribly. I mean, teams do that all the time, right? I mean, like that's, they cut guys all the time. They, I mean, that's, it's legal within the CBA, but I think that like players, it's all a business. Like teams do what's best for them. Players do what's best for them. I don't fault either teams or players for doing what's best for them from a business standpoint and getting what they want. I mean, that's what what you should do in business. The idea that there should be like a crazy amount of loyalty, you know, more times than not, 
that's not really true in any kind of business. And so I think you should do what's best for yourself and whatever is going to make you happy, whether it's being at home, whether it's winning more, whether it's getting paid the most money, whatever ability you have within your situation to do that, I support it. And so, no, I, I don't think that it is inconsistent at all. I tell, I say, hey, all the time, teams should just cut a guy or whatever. You know I mean? I, I, I don't think the analogy of, you know, a team like, Somehow, I don't know, like, I don't even imagine what uh, an example of the type of behavior like he's talking about a, would be. Like burying a player to lower their contract value, theoretically, if a team... Yeah, I mean, that, I guess but... probably the closest analog would be Charlotte cutting Ben Gordon the day after the, the buyout deadline. <laughs> that was of so a team spiteful. just, like, doing something that vindictive to a player. And, you know, but you can't really get away with that because you're trying to actually sign players. That's what I like about the NBA. It's a repeated game. Yeah, it's not like football where you can just do whatever you want to players. The Jacksonville Jaguars seem like they're starting starting to test that. But um, I want to to add in one more thing, which is... Let's say Duncan, Manu Duncan, whatever, is is correct. And he was trying to force his way out. Okay. What the Spurs chose to do with that was totally wrong. They they traded him for a terrible package, including a player who didn't, you know, who who's going to elevate them to not very far. And they didn't get young. They got Pirtle, who's fine. You know, like I, you and I both are, are good with Pirtle. But Kawhi Leonard, was, there were risks involved, obviously, with the amount of time that he missed and everything else. But he went from directly from that to being with, with you know absences, being the best player in the playoffs last year and MVP of the NBA Finals, and they with the potential to sign him with with bird rights and everything else, and even if teams it was a one year thing to walk away from that with DeRozan, Pirtle, and a first round pick when the Raptors had so many intriguing other young players is dispiriting it should be yeah or to the extent that they weren't willing to engage the lakers in a trade i mean even those lakers prospects which weren't as high on people's list at the time uh you know brandon ingram or lonzo ball would look uh uh, pretty decent in a spurs uniform right now um yeah josh hart yeah and and, you know some future draft picks i I think the uh, i hope spurs fans really enjoyed that playoff series against the nuggets because that's what you got out of this trade uh, essentially and now now, i mean i i do appreciate it though uh duncan manu it's it's always good to to hear from you even if you are kind of a spurs stand but you you, you always keep it civil which is more than i could say for a lot of people i, I got no problem with the with the debate um, i want to briefly do this one from carl kleinschlosser uh what do you think yaka Pertle's market will be as a restricted free agent this summer not many cap space teams need to need uh seem to need defensive center i agree i think this is going to be a very tepid market for Pertle. he I'm guessing he's, you know, setting up candles, hoping that Charlotte wants him. I mean, that could be a potential team that has space that, depending on what they're feeling with Cody Zeller, that they could see him as the center of the future, and then they could do whatever they want with Cody Zeller. But it wouldn't shock me. I wonder how aggressive players are going to be at signing qualifying offers this year, just because 2021 is going to have a lot more money on it and a lot more teams that have more than the mid-level. And so maybe he would just want to do that. I don't know. It's If the Spurs offered him a reasonable contract, I think he'd take it. But I don't, you know, are, are they going to put, do a leverage play? If I were another team, I might be trying to go after him. I, I think I might even consider, you know, a three-year offer at kind of the mid-level and say, hey, come in and be our 25-minute game starting center. I think he's actually a pretty darn good defensive player. I, I think Agreed. I think he's someone who could blossom a little bit more outside of San Antonio. And it's been tough for him because they just feel like they can't play Aldridge and Pirtle together this year with, with some of the fit issues that we've talked about with the rest of their personnel. That's part of why that is. And 
So he just hasn't got as much time. But I think when he's out there, he, he can be a, a good offensive rebounder, okay pick and roll finisher, runs the floor pretty hard, protects the basket, moves his feet okay defensively. I mean, I think like, you know, he could be a throw some uh, like Zubats money at him. You know, I, I think that would be a reasonable contract for him. Um, okay, Utah Jazz, let's finish out here. 41 and 22, 7 and 4 since the last 15 and 60. The, that East Road trip against some terrible teams has really righted the ship, although they did have a nice win against a somewhat shorthanded Boston team over the weekend. And so I mentioned the 7 and 4 in their last 11, plus 3.5 net rating, eighth in the NBA, eighth on offense, defense is ninth. But that really obscures that David Locke has pointed out this dichotomy that they were pretty good on defense you know, really towards the top of the league and really bad offensively. And then they made the trade to move on from Jeff Green. They got Jordan Clarkson. And since that point, they've been towards the top of the league offensively. I think they're like number one or number two offense overall, but they've been in the teens defensively. And that to me is uh, the surprising part about uh, this team, you know, especially since they've made the move to play Royce O'Neal. Conley has missed some of that time. So it's not all of that, uh, but it, it's a different jazz team than we've seen in these last few years. And I, I'm interested to see how that plays in the playoffs, but it, they don't seem to me, Danny, would you agree that they're like, even if they have really good offensive numbers, they don't strike you as being like, okay, these guys are going to be unstoppable in the playoffs. I would agree with that. And they do have a lot of personnel that I like. I mean, Royce O'Neal in particular was somebody. But again, are they going to be able to do that against the best of the best? It is darkly comic that right now the 538 model has them projected to face the Houston Rockets in the first round again, though these are dramatically different versions of these two teams. Um, It would be a a test case for both of them. Let's do a question from from Hey P. Sad. What moves would you be willing to make as Utah to get out of mid-tier playoff status? Should selling high on Gobert be considered, or should he be part of a championship-level team given his impending Supermax? I don't know what trading Gobert looks like or how it makes the Jazz meaningfully better long-term. Remember that other than Donovan Mitchell, this is a pretty old team. You know, Joe Ingles, Mike Conley, Bogdanovich is is younger than some of those guys, but again, pre-prime, in-prime, post-prime, you know, when you're getting into those dynamics. So maybe you make the argument, that's all that matters. You know, banners fly forever. You Gobert's not on the same timeline as Donovan Mitchell, even though he's even though he's really good. But is it is another team going to break the bank for Rudy Gobert? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, there are teams like that that could really use a defensive center, and I think you know the question becomes whether at age twenty nine that's going to be him in the summer of twenty twenty one. Now, I, I think there are two big variables here. Number one is just how it ends up looking for them this year. Are they close enough? to believing that they can break through in the West, that they keep chasing the dragon, try to make more moves to build around this core, how do Conley and Bogdanovich look, for example. Uh, And then the other thing is they'll have the chance to offer Gobert the Supermax. And we've talked about this before. It doesn't, I think it was actually on a Patreon mailbag. It doesn't have to be just the full 35% of the cap and then 8% raises on top of that. It can be, all it has to do is start at 30% of the cap. You could even decline from there. You could have nine guarantees on the end. There, I think there is a contract they could offer him ahead of time that hopefully wouldn't be insulting to him, but would also be commensurate with his skills. Maybe it would decline. I, I, I do think he's going to go downhill a little bit. Did you have anything else on that one? I wanted to take one more on Gobert here but did you have anything no, else to add on that? Uh, yeah and then just the question of what you're going to trade for him especially presumably he wouldn't sign that extension with you so you trade him and then now that team 
is going to have to re-sign him, and so you know, I'm not sure he would have that much. And, value. He, and he won't have, and they'll have bird rights, but I mean, will they? Yeah. Will he be committed? Yeah. So, so, that? but then, so another question that we got was, are we in for a Hibbert-esque Gobert decline? And no, I don't think. Number one, Roy Hibbert was maybe the worst pick and roll center in basketball, aside from like games game two of the 2013 uh eastern conference finals other than that he's just a terrible pick and roll center he has no explosion he couldn't get up for an alley-oop he couldn't catch it on the move he couldn't pass he had no gravity whereas gobert is a very solid offensive center and i think he he's not quite as explosive as he used to be but he's going to be a guy who can go up and get some alley-oops with that nine seven standing reach for a long time be a good offensive rebounder on missed shots in the pick and roll i think he'll be a a solid pick pick and roll offensive center for a long time and then he also is just much more mobile than Hibbert uh he's always been I think he just plays harder likes basketball a little bit more than Roy as well and generally stays healthier just has a better basketball body better strength more athleticism so I mean so no I don't expect him to go from 2014 Roy Hibbert being talked about defensive player of the year to like out of the league basically by the end of 2016 no but I do think uh, I think the concern level for him of has he reached his peak he's very reliant on his athleticism you know can he be that really difference making player that you're gonna leave on the floor against every team regardless uh, of whether they're going small or what can he get up for those alley-oops I mean could there be incremental drops in his performance that make him you know not an all-star level of player as soon as maybe even next year yes I do think that is possible let's do uh two more here sure um from leap years underscore ahead do you think the Jazz should revisit Chris Paul for Connolly after the inevitable opt-in uh for those who don't know Connolly has an early termination option so assuming he plays on that contract for next year and do you think OKC would be interested the theory for OKC would probably be I mean Paul's been meaningfully better than Conley this year. It's just that he's paid so much money for multiple years, whereas Conley would be at that point on an expiring yeah. contract. Yeah, you save yourself a $44 million player option in 21-22. And as the Thunder, to me, that downgrade would be worth it. I mean, not that they would have a ton of stuff to do with that cap space, but I, I especially when you consider the injury risk you talked about when we did the awards, how Chris Paul's played, the, I think it's the 17th most, 17th most minutes in the NBA this year. I, as as them, but remember what that does to the to the Utah books, where then it becomes a lot more of a leverage play with with Gobert and with I guess you could you might as well just extend Mitchell at that point because you have so much more committed money for the twenty one twenty two season. To me, it really depends what ownership's priorities are. Where okay, let's say you get that cap space for the twenty one twenty two season. Presumably, you're going to use that to take on bad money. You're going to get a couple of assets from Utah in theory to trade. Conley for Paul and you know then maybe with that 40 million in cap space you can get something else so yeah maybe you turn that into two first round picks by getting off of Paul and trading him for Conley you know probably not good first round picks okay you know maybe that's worth doing but is is there have a ton of draft picks already is it worth making yourself totally non-competitive next year i don't know you can also say hey chris paul his value is never ever going to be higher than after this year he's played the entire season we'll presume that continues see how he plays in the playoffs but you know he could always suffer an injury he could drop off and then that contract again becomes immovable so i think you know it obviously depends on what the price is i probably do it as okc but i don't know how important to them actually being semi-relevant in that market is for next year i mean i think they may kind of want to tank the 2021 draft is supposed to be pretty good too so that's a maybe a reason to do that 
I think I, I would probably do that if I were OKC. It obviously, it just depends on what else you're throwing in along with Conley. But I mean, there certainly was a time when th- that would have been, t- you would never, you know, Mike Conley had way more trade value than Chris Paul. And now that that's changed around. But, you know, Chris Paul, we had him both had him on second team All NBA this year, amazingly. Um, okay we done here yeah i, I think we are this, this is some good work to, especially two hour pod after a th- almost three hour nba cast we're uh with, with a patreon in the middle make sure patreon patreon.com slash duncan we did our clippers lakers analysis you can listen to that there and that's we'll still of course have a lot of other content there yeah hollinger and duncan by the way coming tomorrow as i mentioned talk to y'all then reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 